0: Hey everybody and welcome back. Uh we're just going to be discussing some of the weirdness from over the weekend. Okay, so first off, over in Bellator in the event that was headlined by Patricio "Pitbull" Freire and AJ McKee, right? Patricio Freire gets his upset, uh gets his revenge against McKee and reclaims the featherweight title. That was I honestly I I have to go back and rewatch that fight. Um I thought it was close. Um you know, I don't know, I know McKee was upset afterwards, but I do kind of feel like Freire was doing a much better job picking him apart. But I'd have to rewatch it to give you guys a definitive decision, but I felt like Freire won the fight. Um, But the weird thing that really happened over the weekend is, it almost feels like when this illegal stuff starts happening, right? Like the shit that's like, these fouls, I guess if you want to call them that, for... Um, In these fights right like these illegal blows and stuff that end up it forces the judges or the referees rather into these kind of odd positions where they have to make a judgment call about what to do with the fight right so it starts off on Friday night in the 205 pound title bout between Corey Anderson and Vadim Nemkov right Corey Anderson Started off maybe a little bit slow. I felt like Nemkov was starting to like, got started, like did had a good early first round. But then Anderson started taking over and being able to get on top in the second and third, right? But in the third round, he lands a headbutt from like, I think like they were kind of inside control if I remember correctly. I know Anderson was on top. And it splits Nemkov open. They end up calling it a no contest and Nemkov retains his title. Now fast forward to last night and... One of the fights on the prelims was between Chris Bar- Barnett and Martin Budai. And in this fight, Martin Budai had been winning two rounds. Definitely won the first two rounds, in my opinion. And then gets into the third round. Has Chris Barnett pushed up against the cage and lands an illegal elbow to the back of the head that stops the fight. We're about two, minute, two and a half minutes into the third round. Dan Mergliata decides to call it. He decides to send it to the judges' scorecards. It's ruled a technical, unanimous decision win for Martin Budai, despite the fact that he ended the fight with an illegal blow. Okay? So, two instances where illegal blows were landed and you had two different outcomes so far, right? Now, the same thing happens later on the main card, right? In the UFC main card last night, in the fight between Caio Barallo And, um, Gadryomar Gadryov. And it's, this is what I mean. It's weird. It's almost like this external force that kind of like seeps its way into like all of the fights for that weekend and like permeates all throughout it. Right. And like spreads. And it's like, ah, we're dealing. I think there was another illegal knee at some point during this card too that didn't end up resulting in the fight ending. But there are three instances right there where illegal blows ended the fight. And in the case of Caio Barallo, there was a minute left in the third round. Barallo had clearly won the first two rounds and again was winning the third. But while... While Godgi's hand is planted on the mat and they're up against the cage, Caio Barallo lands an illegal knee that ends the fight, basically, right? Like, Gaji says he can't continue. And there's some confusion about the doctor saying that he potentially could continue. And it's like... Okay, each of the instances are a little bit different. Like when you're talking about Corey Anderson, I'm actually going to like, okay, I think like C- Corey Anderson versus Nemkov was kind of, I think that was ruled correctly. I think that there was, it happened in the third round and yes, Anderson was winning, but it's a five-round title fight and you have to let that play out and there's too much of the fight left to send it to judge the scorecards or determine who the w- winner was going to be. And I don't know if there's rules or stipulations around like maybe you have to complete, three rounds before you can do that anyway. But I think a no contest was the right judgment in that. Like, I definitely think it was an accident from Corey Anderson. He called it out, right? Brought the ref over and everything. And it was handled. I think a no contest was valid. Especially because, like, just using the eye test, Corey was winning that fight, right? So it's kind of hard to give it to Nemkov on a DQ for an illegal headbutt. That It was very clear. And I know that, like... And and the DC made this point too, when he was talking about illegal strikes in the case of Anderson versus Nemkov, Anderson hit him with like his head. That's not typically, you're not allowed to throw head strikes in the UFC. So that's clearly unintentional. But DC made a good point in that when you're throwing strikes in the UFC, you're throwing them with intent. And I mean, granted, there are some things that your opponent can do that Like maybe he moves last second or something and you're already midway through and you can't retract fast enough to like react to that. And like it ends up being illegal because of some weird circumstance. Like that's going to happen. But in both of the instances last night, I thought that the fouls were kind of egregious. And if you look at what Kyle Barallo did, like his knee, and granted, he was winning the entire fight. And if he doesn't throw that illegal knee, I think he definitely is winning that fight. He's walking away with the decision. But they deducted a point, right? So it was clearly illegal and Barallo was arguing that it should have been legal because his knee wasn't on the ground. And to me, that indicates that Barallo doesn't have a firm understanding of what the rules are. And as an athlete, that's on him. You shouldn't be – I mean, like – you have to enforce this stuff some way, right? And a disqualification is a tough penalty to pay. But when the rules are very clear and you're not under, it's on. And I know they're confusing, but if you're going to be a professional athlete in the UFC, it's on you to understand them and know what to do in those situations. And know that. And his hand was very clearly planted. It's it's a complicated situation because everybody's going to look at that fight and say, "Well, Baralo would have won anyway," and it's true. But it's also like. Don't you have to, at some point, enforce the fact that the blow was illegal? You know? Like, you almost have to, like, you have to, you can't take a point from somebody and then let them win the fight at the end. If the fight ended due to an illegal blow, that the other person couldn't continue. And is there maybe a loophole there where somebody could take advantage of that if they're down in the fight? Yeah, but on the flip side... Like if you, I'm, I'm saying like you could act, put on a front, make it worse than it is, but you got hit with the illegal shot. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. On the flip side of that though, if you're winning a two round fight, if you know that you're up two rounds and you get into the third round, you could throw something that seems unintentional and it's just a slippery slope. Like you could land something that was unintentional, that's illegal, that could potentially stop the fight and be awarded a win still right? So there's problems on both sides of it. I think that when you're talking about, I think the only way to handle it is you have to penalize fighters. I think that you would be surprised at what they are. And again, some things are incidental. Some things are just going to happen. And I really do think there are instances where you can roll things an accident and you can say, all right, that clearly wasn't done intentionally. Like his technique. The intention behind the technique he was throwing was valid, but this person reacted in a way that made it illegal. That's different, right? But when you're talking about even the case with Martin Budai and Chris Barnett, that wasn't the first illegal blow that he landed to the back of the head. He hit him with several of them, several elbows that I thought were questionable, several punches that I thought were questionable. And you didn't get a warning from Dan Mergliata, so is it really on the athlete? Yes and no. Again, I think you have to have a firm understanding of what the rules are as the athlete so that in those situations, you're not confused. You shouldn't be confused on the rule set about the fight that you're going to be in. You shouldn't be mixing it up with some other thing. Like, that should be part of your game plan. It should be studying that. You need to be well-rehearsed in that, in my opinion. And Budai, in that situation, despite the fact that, like, it's a well-known rule in MMA, too, that you can't strike to the back of the head. So that's, like, something that you just need – that one was, like, the most egregious to me, more so than Kyle Barallo's even because, like, I can almost understand the confusion with Kyle Barallo. But it is, like, a universal rule in MMA and because there's some differences with the knee being downhand. I I understand, like, that's a little bit – I still think it's on the athlete to understand that during the fight and not do that. But, like – The the back-of-the-head one is universal throughout MMA. Like, you can't fucking do that. And I thought he did it several times in the fight. That I thought that should have been a disqualification, to be honest. I really do. I thought that one was pretty egregious. I don't think that Budai should have gotten the win for that one. And I think he should have been deducted a point, too. I thought his was more egregious than Baralos. I thought there was way more intent. He knew exactly what he was doing. He could see his target directly in front of him, right? He's not, like, posture. And you have more control pretty much you have more control with your hands it's a closer space from you to that person to you know what i mean i mean it was that looked more intentional to me than barrala's and like i said i can almost understand Kaios' confusion not that it excuses it but man you got to be on point with that stuff you got to know that stuff and just be like like, you can blame the ref and say that he like should have been giving him warnings and yeah i agree but it's also like he should have known that he shouldn't have been able to fucking do that shit you know what i'm saying like The athletes have to be more well-educated on this stuff going into the fight. Um, That's just my opinion. I think it would be a huge help. And I also think that the the penalties need to be stricter and they need to be more swift with issuing them and it needs to be, like, less cut and dry. Fence grab that prevents a takedown? Point deduction. Eye poke? Point deduction. Start deducting these fucking points and I think you'll be surprised at how the numbers will come down. I think these athletes are more capable of, like, and the problem is is that you see, like, some of these loopholes with what is kind of cheating, right? They're fouls, and you see these fouls committed, and these things like this happen where they still pick up a win. And granted, like I said, I know it's gray area and all that, but it's like it, 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 there's problems with it throughout the rest of MMA, too, where these fouls keep popping up, and people keep getting away with things, and they keep doing little dirty things. And it's because... They know that the penalty's not there for it. Like I said, things that like, it boils it drills down into things like fence grabs and all that. Like I think that you have to be stricter and more swift with the fucking penalties that you're giving out for that stuff. I really I think that's the only way to fix it. I think that you have to like if people know that they're going to get a point deducted. They're going to stay away from doing shit like that. And they're going to make sure when they go into that fucking fight that they have a very clear understanding of what that rule set is for the state that they're fighting in and everything like that. They'll be more well-prepared. But you have to – it has to be like – I think one of the best refs and just like this random thought pop – but like Jason Herzog always does a great job of like he makes swift decisions on stuff, right? Like you need that mentality and you need to be able to like – you need to be a little bit more liberal with taking points for this illegal stuff because I think it's starting to become more and more of a problem because people realize that they can get away with it, you know, and it impacts fights. So, fuck. I mean, even if you go back to, I think it was the Oliveira and Dustin Poirier fight, Oliveira basically grabbed got what is essentially like a gi grip, except maybe better because you're coming in from over top of the glove and got a sweep off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I know that Oliveira probably wins that fight anyway. Like he's just, I think, a better fighter, and he's a little bit better. His jiu-jitsu is a lot better, like we saw that. But still, it doesn't change the fact that that could have changed the outcome of the fight. You know, I think we need stricter penalties for this shit. I think it's the only way you're going to start seeing it get cleaned up because you're not just seeing it at a low level. You catch it at a low level a little bit more often with these guys like Kyle Barallo who's doing. It's a co-main event. But this is his UFC debut, and same thing for Gaji. This was like kind of, in my opinion, a weaker card. Like There were some good fights on it and some good names and stuff, but that's your co-main event, you know what I mean? But my point is that when you're not high-level like that, you, with Oliveira, like, it's a little more sneaky. With guys who are lower-level, it's more blatant and out in the open, right? It's more of an issue, and you can see it happening out in front of you because they're not as technically refined, and they don't hide it. But like, there are some guys who are really fucking good at cheating, you know? Like Tim Elliott kind of bragged about it in his last fight, I recall, about like some of the little like dirtier tactics that he would use in order. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, you know, John Jones with the eye poke. It's like, if it's there, people are going to take advantage of it. And I think that's why you have to penalize it. Anyway, ran over. Um, Let's just recap the Bellator card real quick. I just want to run through it. Like we talked about in the beginning, debatable, um, not, I don't know. I, like I said, I'd have to watch it back. I felt like Patricio definitely won though. He upsets uh, A.J. McKee. A.J. McKee was a pretty big favorite heading into this one, especially after the way the first fight ended. Um, Vadim Nemkov and Corey Anderson ended in a no contest. I really felt like Anderson was on his way to winning that fight and... Um you know, I had some money on him too, so I might be biased in that regard. But I broke even on it, so I can't be too upset, right? And, uh, yeah, that one ends in no contest like we talked about due to the illegal headbutt. Aaron Pico knocked out Adley Edwards in the third round. Edwards was one of those guys who, like, you know, he had, like a, he had some pretty good jiu and he was able to kind of stay safe off his back in certain situations, but never, able, never really able to put Pico in any real danger and a gigantic mismatch on the feet. Gigantic mismatch on the feet. And then, uh, Linton Vassell knocked out Tim Johnson, but if we move on to the UFC card from last night, uh, a lot of decisions on this card, but a lot of pretty interesting fights as well. Right. Uh, Haley Alatong knocked, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I know I'm not knocked out. Kevin Kroom went to the body with the left, came over top with the right, and then back up top with the left hook. Beautiful fucking combination. Put him out 47 seconds into the first round. Um, That was a hell of a way to knock out or kick off the the prelims. Sam Hughes advanced to six and four. I'm pretty sure she's six and four now with her win over Estella Nunez. And when this fight first started getting going, you were like, oh, man, Sam Hughes is in a lot of trouble. Like, Nunez was looking sharp, landing with everything, right? Like, just looking crisp. And then Sam Hughes... In the second round, was able to get some momentum on her side, right? Get some takedowns going. And then in the third round, she looked a little bit sharper with her striking. Like she was touching Estela Nunez up. And she was able to grind out a majority decision victory. And that's a big win for Sam Hughes. Um, I'm a big fan of Sam. I actually think Sam Hughes is actually pretty talented, to be honest. Um, I think she has a lot of promise. And I think that she, you see her grow a little bit every fight. And this was a you know, a fight that she was a big underdog in. And she thought, fought through a lot of adversity in the fight to get that victory. So, big win for Sam Hughes. Jordan Levitt versus Trey Ogden. Just being honest, I felt like this was probably the most boring fight on the card. Um, Jordan Levitt just kept landing that little kick over and over again, and Trey Ogden kept walking him down and trying to land like straight one twos and stuff, and just not a lot of action. There were some takedowns back and forth, but just not the most exciting fight. Um, split decision victory for Jordan Levitt. I could have seen. being scored either way each guy probably stole a round and it boiled down to how you saw I think it was like I think the first round I think Levitt won the third round with his grappling he maintained a lot of top control Ogden probably got the second and I think I can't remember which one was close to be honest I like like I said this fight was one of those where it was just kind of like the same thing kept recurring over and over and over again right like someone would get on top and then they'd get up and then like there'd be Levitt throwing his little leg kicks and Ogden looking for the same combination over and over, backing Levitt up, and then Levitt would be on top. It was just, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't find it very exciting, but it was a good win for Jordan Leavitt either way. Um, Martin Budai and Chris Barnett, this fight that we just talked about with the illegal blows, I really felt like Budai landed a lot of illegal shots to the back of the head in that sequence that he had Barnett up against the cage with. And I feel like he should have been disqualified, man. I mean, I know he won and he dominated that entire fight and he implemented his game plan on Barnett. He leaned on him, he made himself heavy, beat him up in the clinch, up against the cage, all that stuff, right? He did everything perfect. Except at the end, he had a failure to understand the rules. And I under I get it, guys. Like Dan Mergliata maybe should have been giving him verbal warnings and made it more clear that he was threatening the back vet, like saying, watch back, of the head, watch back, of the head, something like that, right? But at the same time, I really feel like it's on the athlete to understand these rules as well. And we're going to talk about it again. Like we'll revisit it when we get there. But in the main card, Kyle Baralo versus um, Gaji Omar I'm No, I'm mispronouncing that, guys. I'm sorry. But if you look at that fight, it was an illegal knee that ended things in the third round, right? With only a minute left. Um, I don't know. I feel like... That one was a little more excusable, but – and like I said, the knee thing – or like I said earlier in the podcast, the knee thing gets confusing. In this instance, back of the head, that's a universally known rule that you can't hit people to the back of the head, right? And I felt like Budai was kind of like targeting a little bit and maybe felt like he wasn't getting the warning and kind of, I don't know. It just felt like he wasn't, he certainly wasn't trying to avoid hitting the back of the head. Right. And then he ends up landing a blow that ends the fight. I know he dominated the first two. I thought this one was the most egregious of the weekend. Like I said, I thought there should have been a disqualification Anderson versus Nemkov over in Bellator. Not that bad. Probably the most forgivable actually, because it was a head button clearly unintentional on Anderson's part. Um, This one I thought was the most intentional and there were blows leading up to it that were illegal as well as the blow that finished it. So I kind of thought DQ here. Rafa Garcia picked up a big win over Jesse Ronson. Um, Looked good, got his wrestling going, you know what I mean? Which is always like the, the better wrestler in situations like this. Like Jesse Ronson's very talented on the feet, but he struggled against the takedowns in the past. And you know, you can work on it and try to get better at it. When you, But when you go up against somebody who just like – like Rafa Garcia, he's not like working on it. He's He's got it. You know what I mean? Like those things come naturally to him. And he was able to pick up a big rear naked choke victory in the second round. I'm going to do a breakdown on that one, guys, so keep an eye out for that. Um, Dracar Close versus Brandon Jenkins. Close, man, just beating him up in the clinch over and over with those uppercuts and coming around with the – I mean – I was really impressed with the amount of damage that Brandon Jenkins was able to take. The fight starts off, Close gets a nice, t- nice takedown, you know what I mean? Like, after an illegal fence grab by Brandon Jenkins, somehow, though, Drakkar Close was just able to drag him off, to get, break the connection to the cage, and get the takedown anyway. Jenkins gets back up, but Drakkar Close, man, just finds a way to keep, like, grabbing onto the back of the head and beating the shit out of this guy with the right hand and just... Ugh. The guy took some punishment before Close was able to finish things out in the second round, but... Big win for Dracar Close, who hasn't been here in, like, we haven't seen him fight in, like, two years now. So, big win. Penny Kainzad versus Leah Landsberg. Uh, Lena had, like, a moment in the second round that probably won her the round over where she hit that big elbow and dropped Penny Kainzad. And it was a good fight, but, you know, Kainzad did what she had to do to win. Devin Clark versus William Knight was interesting. This was the featured prelim. Um, And this move up to heavyweight for William Knight, right? And he's, I mean... He's just not, I mean, like he is, he's a massive human being, but like his bone structure or something is just not built for that weight class, right? I mean, granted, he fared well, and he almost actually, it's hard to say that, right? Like it's, you just go on tough stretches when you're fighting guys that are super talented in the UFC. He did look good against Evan Clark, right? He stuffed the takedown early, threatened with that standing guillotine, hit him with a big shot that hurt Clark. Um... But in the second round, Clark was able to get a little bit of the wrestling going, and then in the third round, got him up against the cage and hit him with an elbow off the break, and then followed up with some punches that knocked William Knight out. So big win for Devin Clark, and a pretty good fight. Like I said, I still don't feel like that's William Knight's weight class, I just feel like he could go down a little bit. He had his moments, he looked good, he could have won that fight, but just, man, I don't know. Just feel like he needs to go down again. I don't. I just don't think moving up is the answer for him particularly. I think that's going to be a tough weight class for him to pick up wins in. And his athleticism and strength gets neutralized a little bit by guys who are a little bit just like naturally bigger. You know that bone structure and stuff. Like that strength just comes naturally to them. And they get leverage because of their size and stuff. It's tough, man. Tough weight class. Uh, Munir Lazeez versus Angelosa. This was a great fight. I thought one of the most exciting fights of the night. To be honest. Pretty much a straight kickboxing match. And while Losa was able to find some success here and there, for the most part, man, Lizez was just on fire, picking him apart with everything he couldn't miss. Could have done with like stringing his hands together a little bit more, I think, if he landed combinations and, you know... One, two, three, four punches at a time. He probably could have got Losa out of there with with how accurate he was. But regardless, just picked him apart for a dominant win. 30 27 across the board from every judge. Huge win for Munir Lazaz. And I think this kid's got a lot of talent. You know, I mean, he came in and debuted against, uh, I think, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Fought off the like storm early that you get from him and then ended up defeating him via decision, right? Like, really started to pour it on and pick him apart in the second and third round. And then he fights Warley Alves in his second fight. Like, those are not too easy fights to begin your UFC career. And, um, you know, Warley swarmed him. But I think he learned from that fight. And when he got to, like, stand at range a little bit, he was able to dictate the pace, the distance, and everything against a guy like Losa. So, this was a big win for Munir Lazes, And I think he's a guy who has a lot of potential. And I think that fight against Warley Alves, like... That's a learning experience for him, right? Like, he got fucking swarmed and mauled. You got to prevent that from happening. And in this job, I know that Losa's probably not the same caliber, but he did a good job of establishing his range, picking him apart, avoiding the big power shots. He got tagged with some stuff, but for the most part, just controlled the pace, the distance, and controlled everything about the fight on the feet. It was an amazing performance. Uh, next, Pat Sabatini taking on TJ Laramie. Man, TJ Laramie came out and was looking good, right? Got the takedown and all that stuff. But then as Pat Sabatini got more and more comfortable and started like feeling things out, he was able to get back to his feet and then he just took over from there, man, and straight dominated. Um, grinded out a really tough, uh, decision victory, and like I said, after TJ Laramie's initial kind of like hot start, like he got the takedown and everything, it was all Sabatini from there. And like halfway through the first round, Sabatini picked him up and like ran him across the cage with a big takedown, and that's where the momentum just shifted completely in his favor. Took over from there, took him down with the ease, his hand started getting going, and like, I kind of felt like the odds in this one were actually correct. Pat Sabatini was a huge favorite going into this fight, just because... I felt like he had that MMA experience, right? And that, like, the way he sets his takedowns up. Now, granted, Laramie landed one against him. Like, a a nice takedown against him and stuff. But... Sabatini just has that experience, like picking guys apart on the feet a little bit and timing his shots really well. He has really great timing on his shots, and he's able to get the fight to where he wants it to be. He's able to attack the back. He's got great jujitsu, and he's got good takedowns, which makes him super dangerous. Because once he gets you down, he can start advancing through your guard and threatening with submissions and stuff because his jujitsu is so good. But he has one of those things that, like, a lot of the times, people who are really good at jujitsu, where they're like, jiu-jitsu specialists and they fight in the ufc or an mma in general they have trouble completing takedowns pat sabatini doesn't really have that problem we haven't really seen it yet he seems to get it against nearly everybody that he fights and uh once he gets it to the ground like i said he's pretty dominant so pat sabatini is a problem man um Bueno silva picked up a fight or a win over Wu yanan honestly guys um i expected this one to play out this way this is the only fight on the main card that uh that i missed i literally i was sitting over i pulled into my friend's house to like watch the uh card and stuff and we had to go like replace this like flat tire for this kid who actually goes to our gym right and my buddy had like a fucking jack and everything that he didn't have a jack on him he was driving around a little priest got a flat tire we had to replace it anyway i missed this fight as is a fucking point but bueno silva picked up a win over Wu yanan this fight right here was one that I was excited for because I felt like the odds makers were given just a little bit too much hype to Miguel Baeza. I understand that he, like, I I understand that Baeza has really good technical striking, and it looks super fucking clean, and it is super clean, and he has good jiu He's a very talented mixed martial artist, but if you look at the portion of the fight that he struggled with like in his fight against santiago ponzinibbio it was the boxing when santiago started getting combo stringing together and got the boxing working uh baeza struggled a little bit and that's what kind of led to santiago being able to take over throughout that fight and guys andre Fiallo can box He can box like a motherfucker. That's actually pretty much all he does. He doesn't have a lot else in his arsenal. He doesn't throw a ton of kicks. You'll see him hit takedowns and stuff, but they're kind of like incidental where he hits some kind of trip or something, right? Like he's not really hunting for them very often up against the cage or anything like that. He's primarily a boxer and his hands are smooth. And if you look at his fight against Michelle Perea, he had a great first round. He was heading him off, had really good movement and footwork and stuff in the first round. Definitely won the first round against Michelle Perea, you know? landing some nice shots on him, boxing him up. And then Perea started getting the variety and everything going and landing with a little bit more unpredictability and stuff. But my concern for Baeza in this fight is that he's like just a little bit long and sometimes it's, it's like if shots take a while to retract back and I was worried that in those instances Fiala would be able to get that boxing going and kind of expose some of the holes that Santiago Ponzinibbio showed, right? Like I said, Miguel Baeza is a bad motherfucker. I think his technique is actually very solid. He's faced three tough opponents in a row now, which are like, you know, he's lost three in a row in the UFC, and that's tough. But his opponents have all been super fucking legit, and no different with Fialo, man. Like, I felt like, also, Fialo is somebody who made his debut against a guy as tough as Perea, and he looked good in the first round. You knew he was going to come out and look better in this fight and make adjustments, right? I just felt like this was a dangerous matchup, and I felt like the odds makers maybe weren't giving enough respect to Fialo and the boxing department and how Miguel struggled with that against Santiago. Um, but regardless, a big win for Fialo and a big – like a great way to – you know, you make your UFC debut against a guy like Michelle Prey and you lose, you know what I mean? But you look good, and it's, this is a great redemption for him to come back in and pick up a win in the UFC. Uh, and he looked great doing it, getting a finish on a big card, you know? Um, and then in the co-main event, Kyle Barala versus Gaji Omar Margagiev. Gaji Omar Gajiev, sorry. So, I when I was looking at this fight, I kind of thought that Gaji was going to have an advantage just because of the wrestling. There were some moments that made me nervous. Like, if you look at his, like, MMA series fight that's available on YouTube, just some moments where he's not completely controlling and dominating those, like those situations the way that I would have, like, expected him to. You know what I mean? Like, based on that kind of, like, wrestling background, that style that you see from a lot of those guys. But... In this fight, I thought he'd be able to implement it, you know, but Baralo, as soon as Gaji landed the first takedown, hit a reversal immediately, and then he dominated on the ground, was constantly getting to the back of Godji, um, and just you know, definitely winning on uh, each of the judges' scorecards, like really dominating Gagiyomar Ghejov over the course of the fight. And then they get into the third round and they're up against the cage and gaji has got his, I believe his left hand planted on the ground and Kyle Borala lands an illegal knee that ends the fight, but he still picks up a technical unanimous decision victory. We talked about this one earlier. I know we've gone over it several times now throughout the course of this podcast. I felt like personally, this one was less egregious, but... I still felt like it's on you to know that and like he seemed confused and thought it was legal, but it wasn't like that's up to you as the athlete to know so that you don't throw that shot and you don't put yourself in that situation, right? Like I said, not as bad as the Budai one in my opinion. I thought the Budai one very clearly should have been like a point take. The back of the head one is just like common sense to me, but I digress. Anyway, what are you going to do? There's a gray area there. Dan Mergliata was at least... I mean, somewhat consistent in the way he did this, like two illegal strikes where the guy was dominating two rounds. I can understand his perspective on this. It's a tough position to be in and let alone for it to happen two times in the same night. I mean, you gotta think that he was looking at it and just going, man, it just didn't feel like there was ever gonna be an opportunity for those two to win the fight. And I understand that perspective as well. I do. But personally... Oh, it's just tough. It's a slippery slope that you start playing with. You know what I mean? It allows for all these loopholes to start working their way in. And I don't know. I kind of felt like the Baralo one, I can understand there was a minute left. Gadri was not going to win that fight. He wasn't going to do anything. But there's an argument that Barnett wasn't either. So, fuck. I don't know. But you never know for sure. That's the crazy part about MMA. So, I don't know. I don't know. Complicated. And then, guys, in the main event, this was the most surprising fight of the night to me. Balal Muhammad versus Vicente Luque. Now, I thought, I I put like, I felt strongly about this fight that Vicente Luque was going to be able to finish Bilal Muhammad. I just felt like the striking was too sharp, and I didn't think he'd get it done quickly because Bilal's good, and I thought it would take time to weather him down. Bilal's got good cardio, he's got good everything, he's more well rounded than when they fought in 2016. But I really thought that over the course of the fight, Luque would just be able to pressure him, head him off, and just start connecting with things that were eventually going to hurt Bilal, right? But. Bilal Muhammad showed why he's fucking legit, man. Like, very legit. Vicente Luque is only 30 years old. He's an absolute fucking killer, you know? And you watch, like, the fight against Wonder Boy, and some people start going, oh, well, maybe this is, like, you know, Wonder Boy's reaction times and stuff weren't there. Man, I don't think you can say that about Vicente Luque. I thought Bilal Muhammad, despite the fact that he was moving backwards, was doing a great job of pulling Vicente Luque into things. And at first... Luke was kind of getting ahead of him with the stance switches and stuff. But then you started to see, and midway through that first round or so especially, when Luke hit a stance switch, Bilal immediately got in on a double leg and drove him across the cage and got the takedown and was able to stay there. And once he realized that he could get on top, right, he knew that he could control him from that position if he could put him there. It's like once they once you come to that realization as a fighter, you're going to hunt for that throughout the fight. Also, though, other than that, Bilal was doing a great job of countering while moving backwards and getting his own striking going and luring Vicente into traps. And, you know, I really think that after you land that initial takedown in the first round, that's what really starts opening your striking up because you start, like, you as you start moving, Vicente has to worry about keeping his hands down to defend the shot if it comes. So it allows you to start coming over top with things and you kind of found that success, you know. After, it was like once you establish that initial takedown, it starts to open up the rest of your offense. I think in terms of pure striking, Luke is undoubtedly a better striker than Bilal Muhammad. But when you add in the grappling, and this is a mixed martial arts fight, Bilal Muhammad is a perfect example of like, all right, I was struggling a little bit early on. I think Luke was picking me apart a little bit with the leg kicks. Got that takedown though. Oh, now here comes my striking when I'm moving backwards because you're worried. I took you down with my back against the cage, Right. So now you're worried that I can take you down while moving backwards and that lets my hands start opening up while you're putting pressure on me. So it's good for Bilal, you know what I mean? That first takedown, I really felt in the first round set the tone for the fight and started to open things up for Muhammad throughout the entire fight. He did a great job of getting on top, wrestling. You can't take anything away from him, man. Like I said, I I was very confident in Vicente Luque in this fight. Not only to win, but I thought he would get Bilal Muhammad out of there. And Bilal Muhammad proved, I think, a lot of people wrong last night and showed that he's legit. And you know he's calling for a fight against Colby Covington, but I kind of think the fight that he should take right now, because you've got to think that if you look at what Hamzat just did in the war he had against Burns, Hamzat is not in a position where he's going to be denied right now. Hamzat's probably going to fight Colby Covington on ABC, as Dana indicated, right? He's got to be the next person to fight Colby. Bilal Muhammad's win over Vicente last night was super impressive, but it's not enough to get him a title shot against Usman. The two guys that I think make the most sense for him are Leon Edwards and Gilbert Burns. And you got to wonder what Leon Edwards is thinking right now because he's got to be thinking that he maybe deserves the shot against Usman. Usman's talking about boxing Canelo. Like, Hamzat's probably fighting Colby. And you got this area where I think you're – the other three that are kind of like – there's Hamzat, Colby – and Usman right up at the top right now. I think that's how everybody's looking at the top of the welterweight division after things have played out. Then there's Burns, Edwards, and Muhammad that I think are all kind of sitting at that same level right now, and they kind of need to figure out who's who's who. And I think kind of the fight for Bilal Muhammad right now, if he wants a lot of attention too, I don't think it's a rematch against Leon Edwards. I think it's a fight against Gilbert Burns who just had a war and got a lot of notoriety because of it right? That fight brought a lot of eyes to Gilbert Burns. And I think that your money fight is right there right now. And he's coming off a loss. So you have a good angle to fight a top guy. And man, Leon Edwards has to fight, dude. He has to fight. I don't know who he's going to fight or what they're going to do, but like Dana White's not a fan of the whole sitting out thing. And when you got, you know, Leon saying he's going to sit back and wait for a title shot. You got people like Hamza doing the things he's doing. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm more interested in a fight between Bilal and Gilbert Burns than I am balal and leon edwards right now just personally i don't know leon edwards is in an interesting position because he's undoubtedly one of the best in the world right now but it's like 170s kind of stacked near the top like i think you got usman like i said you got those top three right now it's very clearly usman then it's very cl- clearly covington and i think Shemayev just showed that he's that number three right now but then that like Like I said, there's like that lair right here that's super competitive right now. And it's like a shark tank and they got to fight each other a little bit, you know? I just don't think we've seen enough from, I know how good Leon Edwards is, man, but I just don't think we've seen enough activity from him. And especially when, like I said, when Hamzat's doing the shit, he's doing exciting ass fights like that against Burns. I don't know. Maybe the fight is Muhammad versus Edwards too because it ended in that eye poke. Maybe you get some closure there and find out what would have happened. But you know, then it leaves you like, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how 170 shakes out. But I think that if Bilal really wants a fight right now, I wouldn't be calling out Covington. I'd be calling out Burns. He's also coming off a loss, and he's still one of the top guys in the world. So maybe a little bit of a chance for you to, like, ride some of your positive momentum against some of his losing momentum, if that makes sense. So I don't know, man. We'll see. 170's in a really interesting place with a, real, a lot of really good fighters right now. And last night's main event was a great main event. I love that main event right? Like those are two, Luke is a fucking killer. Muhammad's been on the up and up winning his fights. It's just like the underneath that's weak. Like your co-main event are two guys making their UFC debut who nobody's ever heard of. And you're hoping that maybe they have like an exciting fight or something. And it's like, oh, look at these guys. We're going to put them on. They're going to do great. Maybe, but maybe it ends like it did. And they make a mistake, like an illegal blatant knee like that as well, you know? And I don't know. <laughs> it's just like it's int- Like if you read through it, like I know there's some good. Like Pat Sabatini, in my opinion, is one of the. Mo- Sabatini Lazes are probably two of the most promising fighters on the card, in my opinion. Fiala, definitely. I mean, like it was a good card. There's just no like. There's no real name value there. Like, give us someone in the co-main event who we're excited about watching. You know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway, I'm just going to wrap this one up, guys. Like I said, I think later in the day, I'm going to uh, record a breakdown for the Rafa Garcia fight. But, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, If you guys enjoy the content, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button. Give it a thumbs up. All that good shit. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye.